Hi, everybody. My name is Pat Hogarty, and welcome to Sacramento City College Business and Real Estate Show. As I've mentioned, if you watch the first show, the purpose of these shows is to bring in professionals within the industry, within the business and the real estate industry, to share their experience and knowledge on what they do on a daily, day-to-day basis. And as I've mentioned the last time, it's uh, very difficult, if you will, for me to know how to do everything. So I really have to kind of count on uh, a lot of the people that uh, I work with uh, outside in the industry. And uh, many of these people that I'm bringing in are people that have been involved in our uh, internship classes or have come in as guest speakers. So uh, they're really people that are really willing to help us uh, with uh, sharing their knowledge and, and how the business in the real estate industry works. Today we're going to be talking about something called real estate finance. And real estate finance is probably one of the most important aspects of real estate. Now, we talk a lot about a lot of different things, you know, in real estate. We talk about appraisal. We talk about uh, legal descriptions. We talk about title insurance. And all of those things are very important. But the thing that you really want to keep in mind is that when people are getting ready to buy a home, they usually are not walking around with three and four hundred thousand dollars in their back pocket. What they usually have to do is they have to finance the purchase of the property. Now, of course, we do have some people that occasionally will come to Sacramento and have, you know, the whole amount of money to put as a down payment, but in most cases, people have to get financing. And so today, we're fortunate enough to have somebody by the name of Nancy Rich. And I want to welcome you, Nancy, for coming to the show. Nancy happens to work for First Security Loan. And uh, the reason why Nancy is coming in today is she has come in many, many times in uh, my internship class as a guest speaker. And specifically, one of the things that reason why Nancy has really come into the class and spoken to the class has been about, to inform the students about first-time buyer programs. And so, again, I want to... Welcome you Thank to you. the show, Nancy. Uh, really appreciate you coming by and Thank stopping by today. Me. And, you know, normally what we like to do when we first start the show is we like to ask people, you know, how, how did you get in this thing we call real estate? How did you get into real estate finance? Some, some people have really interesting stories, and I'd like to have you take a moment and just tell us a little bit about that. I don't know how interesting it's going to be. Um, my husband's always been in finance, and he thought that I would like it if I got into it. So I started taking courses at the local city college, and um, I liked the appraisal. So I got into appraisal for uh, many years until uh, we thought we were going to retire and came up to Sacramento from San Francisco area, and then I got into the finance field. Now, how long have you? How, how long were you in appraisal? And, and now we're not going to put now a date you're, you're going to date my age not. now. <laughs> but how long were you in appraisal? And how long? Um, were you I was in appraising for about 20 years. 20 years. <laughs> wow, that's a lot of experience being in real estate appraisal. Uh, and how how many years have you been in finance? About 15. 15 years. So your whole <laughs> Add them career, up. <laughs> your whole career spans quite a bit of time. Okay. I know it's embarrassing. <laughs> And, you know, working in the real estate finance, you know, just as a general, because uh, I know we're going to be talking about some special programs today, but just as a general type of a program, you know, out there we have, you know, we have FHA programs, we have VA programs, and, and I'm just going to name what these happen to be just so that we know. FHA, we mean Federal Housing Administration. That's what we're talking about, FHA. VA is the Veterans Administration, and that's for our uh, 
soldiers that have been overseas and, and during a war, or in many cases now we're seeing a lot of our reserves and our National Guard that are now qualified for the programs because they're serving active duty. And we also have CalVet, which is a, a special program for people that are are getting ready to buy a house within within California, you know, as mm-hmm. California veterans. And then, of course, we have conventional financing. And I was wondering if you could tell me, and I know that whoever's out watching out there on TV land would probably <laughs> say something like, no, the numbers are off, the percentages don't work right or whatever. <laughs> but as you can see, it, uh, you know, let's say if you look over a year's period of time or six months' period of time, you know, how, you, do you do more FHA or VA or CalVed or conventional? or What kinds of loans, percentage-wise, would you say? I think percentage-wise we've been doing at least... Ninety percent conventional. Ninety percent conventional. Yeah. So very few, and so if it's ninety percent conventional, is the rest pretty much FHA or? FHA and and VA and different uh, programs. Now, what, tell us for a minute why you would use, you know, because I know a lot of times we talk about FHA and VA and CalVet is 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 a program that uh, a lot of people like myself and others that are buying, you know, have bought our first house get because we don't have any money. Have nothing, you know. Good looks. That's about it. (laughs) And so, anyway, why are people using the conventional programs rather than the FHA, VA, and CalVet programs? Well, a lot of the first-time home buyers can go uh, to uh, financing from different cities, and they can get the 20% down. So they can use an 80% 30-year fixed conventional loan. Okay, so another okay, so in other words, if they go to a city or a county or something like that, they can get some kind of help with down payment or something like yes. that. Is what you're saying? Yes. Okay. Now, what we're going to be talking about today is that one of the uh, associations that you're affiliated with, or whatever, and for a number of years, by <laughs> the way, has been something called the Home Loan Counseling Center here in Sacramento. Could you tell us yes. where that's located? It's located at. Um, Cottage and Howe uh, in the SAR building. SAR is? Sacramento uh, Association of Realtors building. And um, it's a nonprofit, and their mission is to help home buyers get into homes uh, without having to deal with predatory lending. Now, what, or realtors. what what is predatory lending and predatory <laughs> realtors? What does that mean? Well, <clears throat> as much as... Uh, Lenders and realtors hate to think of themselves as predators. There are some greedy realtors and lenders out there, and they tend to charge a lot more than they need to um, to get someone a loan. Oh, okay. So we, we try to fight that and, and actually educate people so that they don't have to deal with it. Now, when you say uh, educate people, and I'm going to bring this up in a minute, but can 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 do you have to be somebody that is say a, a low income person that goes to that or could you no. just be any home anybody that wants to buy a home even if I want to buy a million dollar house I can go there we encourage anyone that's ready to buy a, a house to go to the classes okay and you mentioned that you do um, so the home loan counseling center is located on the you know if you will I think you mentioned or I may have mentioned the first floor of the Sacramento Association yes. of Realtors. And I think it's been, we were talking before the show, and I think it's been in existence for about 15 or 16 years or something like that. And you talked about the fact that they have classes. Could you tell us a little bit about what these classes happen to be? Well, the classes are um, First Time Homebuyer 101, which takes you from 
getting pre-approved, finding a realtor, what closing costs are, what a, it tells you everything, all the steps involved in getting a loan and, and buying a house, uh, and e- including what um, programs are down, down payment assistance that might be able to help you. Now, is that the first program? Because mm-hmm. I know we that's talked about the home those buy- Yes, three that's programs. the first program. Now, I know you had mentioned in the past that there was sort of like a, there was three programs, but there was some kind of an orientation program of some sort? There is an orientation program that will tell you about all the programs. The three programs or classes uh, are $60, which includes the class and um, a workbook from each class. It's just to pay for the materials because they are a nonprofit. Okay. But the orientation class is free to, that you can attend to find out whether you really want to go to the classes. So in other words, if you're thinking about buying a home, mm-hmm. you know, the idea is to first look and see whether that's something that, that interests you or whatever. I think I've mentioned this to some of my students that there are people that, you know, <clears throat> possibly based on their financial situation right now, may not be, the best choice may not be to buy a home. You know, it might be better off for them to continue to rent where they are and maybe save for a down payment or, uh, or uh, you know, you know, so that, and then put off the buying, if you will, for the next couple of years or something like that. So in the orientation class, let's just take a minute. What would happen during this orientation? First of all, the orientation class that you have, is is that that costs nothing? Is that correct? That costs nothing. Now, now I know from uh, you know when we talked before and you've been into the classes that we had, ha- you guys have classes in all the different you know. There's a lot of different centers Venues, you get out. Yes. So you get out to a lot of the senior citizen centers and you get out to so where some of the centers that you or some of the places that you give these classes. At? Well, we we do give classes at the Sacramento Association of Realtors. We have we try to spread it out. We have them every month, okay. and uh, we try to spread them out so that people in different areas can get there. Okay. Most of them are in the Sacramento area. The, uh, the library on uh, the Demick Library, I believe, is it Arden and Demick Library? Okay. Uh, I believe that's the name of it. We have one there. We have it um, on 48th and T okay. um, in one of the community centers there. Okay. We have one on um, Alha- Alhambra and H. Okay. And then we have one in Roseville or Rockland. Okay. Now, uh, so you have these once a month. I know that mm-hmm. I've seen that in the Sacramento Bee in the real estate section on Sunday, I've seen the, the little announcement that you're having the class. Who are the people that usually come? What do they look like? What's the background? <laughs> you know, I mean, give us a feel for if we go to this orientation class, who who would we look like? What kind of people would you see there? And how many people would be attending, if you will? Sometimes there's <clears throat> two. Sometimes there's 80. It just depends on, on the time frame. Um, right now, because the housing prices are a little higher than they were five years ago, we have... Uh, fewer people that are looking to buy. But with the down payment assistance programs that are available out there right now, uh, there's a, the classes are getting larger. So They are getting larger. Yes. So, and, and are these people typically all first-time buyers, or are they, uh, are they, are they people that have had financial problems in their life, or, or you know? I'd say 50% of them are first-time home buyers. 
a lot of them um, may be buying, have had a, a, a property maybe years ago and are selling it and want to find out what's changed. So they come to the classes to find out what might be out there right now, what are the new loans or anything like okay. that. Now, you mentioned first-time buyer, and, and mm -hmm. one of the things that I think is important is that we, we define for everybody what a first-time buyer is because that's sort of a misnomer, if you will. It's... We think that it's a person that's never, ever in their entire life has ever owned a house before, and that's not true. So can we take a minute and define who that is? Well, if you haven't owned a house in the last three years, okay. you are considered a first-time home buyer. And they will check it. They will ask you for three years of your income tax papers to prove that you haven't written off interest on a house in the last three years written off interest or I guess paid property taxes mm -hmm. or done anything along the way like that. So anyway, we have this first meeting where we have these people come in and they could be all different age groups and all different socioeconomic Anybody. groups and uh, maybe people, maybe maybe mo uh, moms that are getting divorced and they're look, looking to buy a home or whatever. So they've got the orientation now and they're told about these, which is free. Right. Correct. No, no money with the that. Orientation's free. And and we can and we can do that by contacting the home loan counseling center and and um, and um, and hopefully I'm not sure whether I have the number with me, but I think do you know the number? I, I know the number, and they can also uh, go online at hlcc.net. Okay. And every mo every month a new schedule is posted. In fact, what we may do just for our purposes near the end of the show, what we might do is just put up again the phone number so our engineer will have time to know that we're going to be doing this. <laughs> um, so they go and they attend this first meeting, and then I'm assuming that some of the people may decide that, okay, I've been there, done that, and not interested, and then we have, you know, other people, you know, we have, a, we have other yes. classes. So the next class that somebody would come in and take, what would that class be about? Uh, you don't have to take them in any particular order, but the second class is usually the credit and money management class. Credit and money management. Mm -hmm. So what would be covered in the credit and money management class? Well, we, we cover uh, budgeting for a new house, okay. what, might, what they might have to pay for in a new house that they may not have to pay for, such as utilities right now if they're renting. Okay. Um, and then... Um, go over some budgeting on how to get there. And then we cover credit and how credit can highly influence the um, interest rate, the amount you get to borrow, okay. all of the above. Now, when you say budgeting, what I'm having to assume is the fact that what we're trying to do is let the people know that when they rent a place, an apartment or a condo or a townhouse or a home, that they have somebody called a landlord. Right. And what ends up happening is is that when they go from being a landlord to an owner of a property, they have some additional things that they have to be concerned with, uh, such as where maybe in the past they could call the landlord because the sink was leaking. They can't do that anymore. They have to call themselves. That's right. So what's some of the things that you want to tell people that they need to be aware of as far as costs go when, when, they're, when they're buying a house that maybe costs that they don't have to deal with when they're when they're uh, renting, if you will. Well, a lot of the utilities, mo a lot of people ha do not have to pay utilities, such as water, gas, garbage, um, items like that. But they also have to look at, are you going to have a lawn? Are you going to have to mow that lawn? Um, are you going to have to paint the house? 
Do you know how to paint the house? Do you know do you know how to paint the house? <laughs> Do you know how to mow the lawn? Uh, you um, know, and I know I know this sounds a little bit silly, but I've had friends of mine that uh, people that I know really well that honestly and truly do not know how to paint or have not painted before, uh, or or maybe uh, something goes wrong, like uh, you know the uh, garbage disposal doesn't you know gets jammed up and they don't know how to fix it, and and, and those are things that you all have to be aware of when you're going to buy your own home, then right. That's right. You have to have to budget for these things, and we we actually have several different sheets of of uh, suggested things that they're going to have to budget for, and we actually go through in the class a mock budget for a family of four plus. Oh, for a family of four plus. So in other words, they're going to have to figure out essentially how much money they make, and then I guess they're going to have to figure out what food, clothing, and all that other stuff, and how much money is left to actually make the house payment, right? That's right. Okay. The other part you said in the first class that you do is credit. Let's talk a little bit about the credit. What are we doing with the credit now? Well, the credit, uh, we actually tell them what it is. They actually, there's three repositories, which are TransUnion, Equifax, and Experian. Okay. And they each give us a grade on how how good we are at paying our bills. And those scores, which range from about, 400 to 900, um, 900 being the best, they pretty much dictate, because the lenders pull all three and take take those scores into consideration, they dictate if we can get a 100% loan or if we can get a loan at all. When you say we can get a 100% loan, or uh, in other words, are you saying the higher the score, the, the more loan we can get? That's correct. And then I guess the higher the score, the lower our interest rates are going to be? Correct. Okay. Okay. So that that is one thing. Now, I'm assuming that some of the reasons why some people may not be able to have bought their house in the past is because they have some kind of credit problem, if you will. Um, in fact, uh, you know, a lot of times I see this, uh, you know, even here at the school, I stand in line to get a cup of coffee and uh and it really kind of bothers me. Maybe it's just me, but I see a lot, an awful lot of students that are paying with a credit card of some sort. And, I, and the reason why I say I think it's a credit card is because they're having to sign it. It's not like they're putting a PIN number or something in there. And, um, you know, we see, we see companies that will go out and say to students, you know, you, know, you can have $500 or $1,000. And then when we look at those credit cards, what they end up doing is they may be taking that predatory, if you will, advantage or taking advantage of those students because they really don't realize, you know, it's the first time they've had it. I mean, it really kind of gets me when I see somebody that's getting a, a soda and a piece of pizza and using a credit card or a cup of coffee and getting using a credit card. But what was interesting enough, there was a, uh, last night there was a, I forget what TV show it was or which channel it was on, but there was a discussion about the finance problems that a lot of people have and they had this lady on there that was a chiropractor which means she's a well-educated person 29 years old sitting there with loans or owing somewhere in the neighborhood of hundred and seventy thousand dollars at 29 and trying to figure out what bill to pay first second or third so this is not one of the things that drives home to me is, is it's not education it's it's also it's also just you know, student loans and some of the other things that get people in trouble. So is that what you're finding? or We we do, we try to educate them against that because we've heard for a long time that 
the credit card companies do um, target college students. Mm -hmm. And sometimes they even target students before they're old enough to charge if they get their uh, Social Security number. So we just sort of talk about security, talk about how to protect yourself by budgeting and by holding um, right. you know, privately your Social Security number, your birth date, and any, anything anyone could right. to do. Well, one thing that I was surprised about is they were talking about the fact that they're actually starting, and I don't know why they haven't done this a long time ago, they were actually talking about starting to uh, educate people in the, uh, in the grammar school. Uh, say grammar schools, but I would say maybe not grammar school, I wouldn't be grammar school, but say junior high school, you know, in seventh, eighth, ninth grade, as to th the things that we really need to know, such as finance. You know, how do we spend our money? How do we budget our money? There's a lot of people that just don't know how to do that. You know, so that's really important. Now, that's the first class that you do, okay, right? That's, well, the second, first and second. First and second class you do. Okay, so then you also have a third class that you do, too? Yeah, and that's called home maintenance. And we pretty much, it's, it's again, the landlord thing. You can't call, if something goes wrong, you can't call up a landlord to, to change a light bulb or to, in an emergency, turn off the gas or the water. Mm -hmm. And so we go through a lot of that, um, suggesting that the first thing you should ever do when you buy a new home or a resale home is to change the locks because you don't know who has a key. Okay. Now, what are some of the things in that particular class that, you know, that they would expect to be at least told about? What, what would be some of the things that they would be told about? <laughs> well, the fact that you can't call up the landlord if something goes wrong. You have to be responsible enough to, to call someone if there's a leak in your pipe. Call a plumber. Um, call the electrician if... Yeah. If you have a problem with the electricity, right? Um, know where, know where the the emergency valves are in case to cut off the the gas or the electric or the water. Know how to do all mm -hmm. that. Okay. Now, what I wanted to do is so we talked about the the classes and the cost. Okay, I think you said the total cost is somewhere in the neighborhood of about sixty dollars. Yes. And I think what you've mentioned in the past, I don't know, it was here in in the internship class that. That that's really to cover the cost of materials. That's sort correct. Of thing. Because in reality, the instructors that come there are not getting paid, and that's you know true. it's just it's just the cost of materials. And if you want to know what it costs to duplicate materials, then just go to <laughs> go our to old friendly Kinkos or somebody <laughs> like that, and you'll know how expensive that happens to be. Um, so, you know, we talked about time buyer programs now. Okay, so that's what we're essentially trying to do. We've defined the fact that a first-time buyer is somebody that hasn't bought or owned a house in the last three years, which means they could have owned a house, many houses prior to that, but it's the last three years. That's true. And so now what we want to know is what, how does that process work? Let's say, for example, I, I'm a real estate agent and I have a client or maybe I'm an individual and I decide, okay, I want to buy a house. What is the process that I would go through with you? Well, if you're an individual, we would like you to get pre-approved first. And what that means is that you actually find a lender and they take all your documentation, such as your pay stub, because we have to prove that you do, you are employed and you do make money and how much, uh, pull your credit and uh, get your bank statements. And then we put it together in a package with a loan application and send it through to an underwriter. You can get pre-approved. That way you know how much to shop for a house for. 
and you're going to your realtor once you decide on one, and you're not going to waste their time. They're going to know exactly how much you can afford, and they're going to show you houses that are in that now, you're, you're saying that I would, so I would first find a lender then? That's correct. Before I would start the program, could I go to you and, and could I go to the Home Loan Counseling Center and find a lender? For well, the, before you start the program, you can take classes any time. Okay. And we would love for you to take the classes before you start any Before other. you start. That's okay. correct, yes. And then once you start the process of finding a house, then you need to get pre-approved by a lender before. Okay, so first of all, you'd... Makes sense to, to to go to the classes, okay? Then I guess step two would be to actually go out and find a lender. Is there any? When we talk about lenders now, uh, you know, there's a lot of different kinds of lenders. Uh, you know, they, we can go to, you know, if we're a member of Wells Fargo Bank, we can go down there and talk to them. We can go to Bank of America. We can go to Countrywide Funding. We can go to your company. Is there any any place that we, is a good place to start, or how should we even you know <laughs> get any tips? How should we even start? Just wandering. Well, all of those watch. places are are good choices. Um, if you have if you take the classes, the Home Loan Counseling Center has counselors available, and they'll be glad to answer any questions for you. In, and they have lists of lenders that they work with, and okay. so they'll be glad to share those. Okay. So basically, as a result of that, you would get maybe two or three or four different lenders that you yes. would maybe contact. Um, once you take the classes and now you know that there's some lenders, I mean, how do you go about picking one or the other? I mean, can you should you should you be working with three or four lenders at a time, or should you narrow no. it down to one, or what should you do? Well, you'd interview them, and the class is going to give you the tools to interview them because you're going to learn what they should be doing so that when they're talking to you or or um, you're talking to them, you'll know whether they're going to return your call fast enough or answer the questions. The big thing is that until you decide on a lender, don't let anyone pull your credit. Okay. So when you say, so I'm going to have, I guess, my initial shopping for the mm -hmm. loan, uh, now, not to speak for anybody, but one of the things that I like when I'm working with somebody, I like to feel comfortable with yes. them. I like to feel like as if I'm sort of kind of in charge and it's not where they're calling the shots. I like to feel comfortable with what's going on. Um, so I guess that had to be part of the criteria is to yes. find somebody that you know I really feel comfortable with. And you said don't let, you know, so in other words, what you're saying is don't go to Wells Fargo in the morning and Bank of America in the afternoon and countrywide funding later on and have them all pull credit reports. Why don't we want them to do that? Why? Well, it can. It not, it's not in stone, but it can lower your score by having a lot, multiple people pull your credit, depending on when it is. Okay. Um, if, it's, if it's in the same day or two, it's probably not going to hurt it. But there's no reason for every single person, every single lender to pull your credit until you know you're going to work with them. Now, you, you were saying something, to, you know, uh, when you came into the, in, uh, into the internship class about the fact that you can actually, I guess for a fee, have the Home Loan Counseling Center yes. produce your report. What does that mean? How do you do that? Well, the Home Loan Counseling Center, if, if you feel like you want some answers, and especially if you're credit challenged, there are co counselors there that are available free of charge to help you and they can because they're a nonprofit they can pull your credit and it will not hurt your score or be negative against your your credit at all if you let anyone else pull it it can be a negative factor against your credit 
now that when they pull it, I think you said that there's a fee for that that you have it's to pay? It's $20 from them, and they pull all three. Now, when you get that report, does that report, because, you know, we're, we're seeing nowadays that, in fact, it's almost where they've got us in sheer panic city, you know, that, you know, between the uh, the, the uh, identity theft yes. and everything else that they've got us panicked. Is there, when they pull that report, what's going to be on that report? Is, in other words, are all the scores going to be there on that report, or what's going to be on the report? When the Home Loan Counseling Center pulls it, all of the scores are going to be on the everything, including your social security number, your address, all of the addresses that you've ever lived at or maybe looked at sometimes. Uh, your entire life story is going to be on that report, which is one of the reasons you don't want a lot of people pulling it. Okay. Now, you said scores. Uh, so each one of those credit agencies, which, again, I think you said was TransUnion, Equifax, and Experian, those are the yes. three credit agencies. And they're pulling a score, and that score is called a FICA score? Is well, it's, well, it's a credit score. There is a FICO score that, that uh, one of them goes by. But basically, it's a, it's, we take the middle score. You take the middle score. Mm-hmm. Do those scores range? I mean, are they? Are, are, I mean, are they? Are they? Are there big differences between those scores? There can be. Um, the repositories, uh, Equifax, Experian, and TransUnion don't talk to each other very much, and so the scores can be very different. Um, that's one of the reasons we like for people to pull their scores before they start the process, to see if there's any um, thing on there that shouldn't be on there. That maybe a bill that was paid that shows unpaid. Okay. Uh, and they can pull their own uh, credit report from each individual agency for free once a year. But I think he was saying that when you do that, you don't get any scores. You don't get your score <coughs> unless they charge you for them. Okay. So you might as well have the center charge them, you know, charge you the $20 and get all three. And the report looks just like, a report that a lender would pull in the first place. So, so you're saying that you, you pull that report and you may find out that Equifax has something on there that you have a Macy's bill that you paid off or maybe you weren't late to Sears and Roebuck or whatever and then you know you're working. So I guess what you're saying is that if you so if we go to the class and then we know about it in reality before we ever really go out and talk to a lender, maybe one of the things that we're going to want to do is get this $20 credit report, right? Right. So that we can show it to those lenders when we go around and, and at least, you know, get them to say, you know, yes, you look like you qualify or no, you don't. Now, if you, let's say, for example, something does come up on that report and, you know, I mean, we could either we use, use the term credit challenged, which there could be some <laughs> of us that might be credit challenged. But let's say something does come up there. Let's just say it's a mistake. It's yeah. just an out and out yeah. mistake. You know it's a mistake. What what action do you take in order to clear that mistake? Let's just say it's one mistake, and you want to clear it up on one of the one of the reports. How do you go about doing that? Well, you can you can write a dispute letter. You can um, write a letter to the, each repository, especially the one that is is wrong, and they have 35 days to research that and fix it. Okay. Um, we teach you, we give you samples of the letters, and we, that's one of the things we go over in the credit and money management class is how to challenge these. Oh, how to challenge mm-hmm. them and how to write the letter and everything else. Now, do you normally have to have some kind of, I would assume you'd have to have some kind of documentation that proves that you're correct and they're incorrect, right? So if they say that you, for example, owe Macy's some money, 
then what you would, I guess, have to submit to them would be your current bill that shows that you don't owe them any money or you're paid, you're paid off or some kind of a statement from Macy's or Sears or whoever it happens to be. Is that correct? Or? They can do it. They can research it without documentation. But if you have the documentation, it's so much faster. And it's a for sure thing if you have the documentation. Okay. Um, we recommend that when you're dealing with any creditor that you keep everything in writing, whether it's by email or whether it's by um, statement. Okay. And and keep it for a few for, years. Forever. forever. <laughs> <laughs> keep it forever. It's like, especially if it's a, a derogatory bill and you pay it off and you want to make sure that, that you keep it for at least 10 years. Now, if you correct that problem, you know, whatever it happens to be, a late bill or whatever, and you can show that... You, it wasn't your fault. It was somebody else's. Do they immediately go in and do some kind of magic to fix your <laughs> score, or 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 how does that work? Well, you would hope they would they would do an immediate fix, and and they can, but most of the time they have actually 35 days to do that. And what once they get your your dispute letter, letter blah, I can't even talk. Mm. Um, they will go in and they will they will research it and they will send you a new report and a letter back saying that it, here's your new report and it is fixed or we have researched it and you didn't send us any documentation so we find that you do owe the money or it is. What about if we have issues like bankruptcies and things mm -hmm. like that that have happened? You know, we keep hearing that bankruptcies, you file bankruptcy and, you know, uh, they say re recently that bankruptcies are up now. Um, uh, how long... Do they? Do you have any idea how long they kind of hang around and have any effect on your credit at all? Or they do have effect on your credit, and they pretty much hang around forever. Forever. <laughs> forever. But they, after two years, if you have reestablished credit, because most lenders only look at 24 months of credit. Oh, okay. Uh, for giving you a loan. So if you've reestablished, and reestablished means that you have had no more lates, and you have reopened some credit that you may have closed during the bankruptcy and um, reestablished the credit for two years. So that would be like maybe going down to one of the department stores and reestablishing credit and then buying something and making payments on it with them or something like that? Yes, with a minimum amount. Minimum. 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 Minimum <laughs> amount. So anyway, now, so now what we've done, we've taken the class, we've attended the, uh, we've attended the classes, we've got our credit report, we've been told about a lender, okay, We've got the credit report, and we go out, and we narrow it down, and we talk. At that time, I guess we talk to a couple of lenders and find out whoever we feel comfortable with. Because, And tell me, it would be my assumption <clears throat> that a lot of the lenders, are all the lenders the same, or are there big differences between lenders? I mean, should I, if I'm looking for a certain kind of a loan, should I go to one bank and, you know, like, you know, not to use names, but say a Wells Fargo <laughs> bank, should I find them charging a lot more than Bank of America or? or not necessarily. It, 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 they can charge differently, but there's, as far as the charges, there's not a lot of difference. But there is a difference sometimes in what's available. Banks have their own programs, um, and they can do their own lending, as do mortgage bankers. And what, what mortgage brokers do, they don't have their own money but they have access to all the other banks' programs. So 
it depends on what you are looking for and, and who you're interviewing. So they, they actually, you, the mortgage broker might very well be representing Washington Mutual or Bank of America or Wells Fargo Bank, then is what you're saying. And That's then all of the above, yes. Okay. But by and large, the, the loans should be, uh, are we saying that, you know, it does, that it's irrelevant who we are? Well, if it, most of the banks are very reputable. Okay. And they're, they're going to do a good job for you. Okay. But you do need to interview to find out what, what they're charging. Okay. So anyway, we go out now, we got a lender. We've got somebody that's happy. And from what you've told us in the class, what we need to do is we need to, when we go to see them, correct me if I'm wrong, we need to have, we need to bring some paperwork with us, right? And uh, I guess income tax statements, do we need to bring those with us? If you're doing a first-time home buyer, yes. You'll, they're going to want, in a regular loan, they're going to want uh, two years of either W-2s or 1040s. 1040s. 1040s are income be, tax forms. Yes, income okay. Or if it's a if you're going for a down payment assistance program, then they may ask for three years. Three years. Okay. So we've got our income tax statements. We need our pay stubs, which are what do they call those W twos, I guess. Pay stubs and W twos. W twos. Yes. Um, and what are the kinds of documentation that we would need to show up so we wouldn't be driving back <laughs> and forth to the house all the time for this stuff? They're going to want probably the two months bank statements. Okay. All the pages because they're really going to look at them to see if there's insufficient funds and when you pay your rent. And okay. So, in other words, for every single bank and credit union, I need to bring all those statements with me, all the pay stubs with me, my income tax statements with me, anything else? Uh, any retirement or any anything to, that shows you have reserves, any type of money that you have. So, if I, if I have a retirement, say, from civil service, would I need to... Uh, would I need to bring a pay stub from them then? or Well, or a statement a, of the account. The statement of some kind of an account or a letter, okay, or any other kind of retirement. So now the lender's got all that stuff. Yes, they're they going to make copies. You're not going to leave the originals. Or you take those back with you. Okay, <laughs> so they got copies, okay. So now from that point, and I'm also filling out a loan application at that point? Yes. Time to, okay, so I'm filling the loan application. I give that all to the lender. What happens at that point? Now they've got all that stuff. What do they do? If, if, if you have decided on a lender and you bring all your documentation in and there is a loan application. The loan application is really part of our toolbox because it gives us two years of information f from the client okay. and the borrower. And, and that that is what we need to give them an, an exact answer on what they can afford. Okay. So And then there's going to be a lot of disclosures that the lender needs to go over. But the most important disclosure is a good faith estimate. Now, what's a good faith estimate? What's that? A good faith estimate is a, a list, itemized list, of all the costs that are going to be incurred. The lender will give you all of their costs, but it's also good if the estimate shows the um, title fees and the appraisal fees and any other costs that might be associated with the loan. So that'll help us understand where all of our money is going and what we're actually going to end up use having available to actually yes. buy a house. Okay. Yes. So they give us a good faith estimate. At that time, is that the time then that we should connect with our real estate agent and say, okay, I am approved now or I know I've got this amount of money. Should I then go be going out and looking for a house or what? 
Yes, you can, you can you can still be interviewing real estate agents, but once you're approved, then and talk to have talked to a lender, then yes. Now, start one, looking for one of the things that's always confused me all the time is is that if we've you you've asked or the lenders asked for a lot of documentation, there's not really not a lot more that I can give you than what it is, and then you're gonna uh, now I've got a best best faith good faith estimate. Good faith think, estimate. Okay, we called it. Now, that should be, what would I be able to give or what would you give me that I could give to a seller of a property to show that I am a really good, good approved, ready to rock and roll kind of a, a buyer? I'm not just full of a lot of baloney. I'm ready, willing, <laughs> and able to buy. What would you give me? Once you go through an underwriter, <laughs> you can give them, uh, get an approval letter from an underwriter. Um, if the lender has what they call pre-approved you or credit approved you and and at that time pulled your credit, they can give you, the lender can give you a credit approval letter to go shop with. Okay. And then uh, in the meantime, um, we'll be able to get a underwriter's letter. And then that, that's it. something I can then give to my real estate agent that yes. I could, could I incorporate that in my offer on the house and say, hey, I'm really serious. This is proof that I'm financially qualified to buy this kind of a thing? It is it is like walking up to a homeowner with money in your hand if you've been pre-approved for a loan. So I'm, I can, I'm in a better negotiating mm -hmm. situation. I know what I can actually afford. Yes. Okay, so let's say I've done this and I know I'm approved, but now all of a sudden, now I need this other thing that we've been talking about, I've been alluding to, this down payment assistance program. How the heck does this thing work? Well, you have taken the classes, hopefully, so okay. you'll know about a lot of the programs. And most all of the programs are income limited. Okay. You have to make below a certain income to qualify. Okay. And your debt has to be within a percentage, a 30, 33 to 35% range in order to be able to qualify for down payment assistance. So you do have to fit within a box. So in other words, what you're saying is that this down payment program, if I make, uh, you know, like if I make $200,000 a year, this is not the program that's going to work for me. We're talking <laughs> about, and I think you had given me some websites to look at before the class started, and I think that was, they were somewhere around $33,000, $35,000 if you were a single person, and then According to the, uh, the ones that I looked at, you know, depending if there were two people, you could make more money. Three people, you could make more money. But you were income limited on what you what you could do. So anyway, let's say I've done this and I know, you know, I'm going to buy this place with my wife and myself, and I know I make underneath a certain amount of money, so I know I'm okay for the loan, or I'm okay for the thing. I know where I'm okay. What do I do now? I got the lender lined <laughs> up. I got this now. This down payment assistance program. Where do I go from there? Well, the lender it. Has to the lender that does the down payment assistance has to be approved by that down payment assistance program. Mm. Now that's usually pretty easy because most, especially brokers, because they have access to all the banks. Okay. Most of the mortgage brokers can get approved for to do those. Okay. And so is that anyway? The, the the broker has to be whoever the who's ever handling the paperwork has to be approved. Okay, so they're approved. Do they then submit some paperwork to the and how you know? I guess two questions. Do they submit stuff to these organizations? And I, I guess like we were talking about, there's a program in, in Davis is an example. Davis has city. The city of Davis has a program. Woodland. Uh, is it Woodland? Mm -hmm. Okay. Both. Um, 
Roseville was another place that had a program, so we submit the documentation to that program or this, that city, I guess, is who handles it. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. And then how long does that all take after I submit the paperwork? How long? Well, if, if you're getting pre-approved, which you can, you can do before you start looking for a house, if you know which city you're going to look in, you can get pre-approved for the uh, assistance program just like a regular loan. So, um, now, does my name go on a list then? Yes. Or, okay. And uh, do they ever run out of money or is there <laughs> plenty of money? <clears throat> yes, they do run out of, out of money. It's first come, first serve. And this money comes from grants that they receive from uh, different agencies. Uh, most of the programs that are going on now, such as Sacramento, City of Sacramento, um, City of Roseville, Rockland, Woodland, all of those programs and more are have been going on for a while. So once one grant runs out, they apply and get another grant. So they, they're ongoing, but it is first come, first serve. First come, first serve. How much money potentially do these programs have? I mean, a rough estimate, you know, how much in the way of a down? And I know that each individual circumstances are going to be different. But, I mean, are we talking about only a couple thousand or are we talking about 10,000, 20,000? I mean, what kind of down payment assistance could we get from the programs? Well, possibly, <coughs> well, West Sac has 70,000. That's West Sacramento. West Sacramento. Okay. And uh, the city of Sacramento and Sacramento County have some programs where you can stack them and use different programs together, and they're like 10,000, 25,000, um, you know, it's different. You can stack up to eight programs sometimes. Eight programs? Sometimes, if you can if you can qualify for them. Okay. So, you know, it, and the Home Loan Counseling Center can help you with this. Okay. The, they can tell you how it works and what you might be able to apply for. The Home Loan Counseling Center even has what they call wish funds, where they can help you um, if you fit into the income limit, where they can help you with uh, some of the closing cost money. Okay. How long does that process, I mean, as a rough idea or a rough <laughs> rule of thumb, and I hate rules of thumb myself, but I mean from the time that I actually submit that documentation to one of these programs, is this something that would take months? Is this something that would take years? I mean, how long would that take? If we're if you have a house, it has to be within within a 30 day, usually 30 days. Um, if you're in contract, we hope we ask that you write the contract for 45 days to give them a little more time. That's pretty. But yeah. But that's is that considering the fact that we've been pre-approved? No. That's just if we just if, ring them up on the phone and say hi. If you're pre-approved, it's a lot less than that when you, once you find a house. So that's a pretty that's pretty quick turnaround. That's you know I would think it would have been a couple of years. I would have been. Oh working. no, it's, it happens pretty quick. Now, if they happen to be in between grants, and remember it's first come first serve, depending on what program and what city it is, you may have to wait for that money to be available. So that could be several months it could maybe be. Wait, waiting for something like that. Okay, so now I've gotten this money from them, and they've come in, and now I guess I have like a first loan on the house, and then they just give me that money, or do they require? Do they have to sign any paperwork for that money, or what do I do? You have to apply for the money, and it's, it is a loan, even though the loan is, is what we call silent for okay. 30 years, which is great. 
you have to qualify for it, okay. but you will not be making a payment um, on it for 30 years once you get it. So, in other words, and, and they're not going to be charging me interest as I go along? In other words, uh, I'm just, for 30 years, going to give me this money? <laughs> well, nothing's for free. You will be charged simple interest uh, for every year that you have the loan. Okay. Uh, if you refi or sell the house before the 30 years, it's due and payable at that time. So if I refinance it or I sell it, what happens if I buy the house and three, four years later I happen to, you know, graduated from college or whatever and I've got a good job and I'm making good money and I decide I want to keep the house but buy another one? Can I do that? We, it's only for a primary residence. Okay, so what you're saying is that for me to stay legal with them, I have to tell, I have to be living in the property. If I decide to move out of it, is there any circumstance? I mean, if I just move out, I just have to, I have to sell it or I have to pay it off. I, or re, I'm sorry, refinance it, right? That's correct. It, it, it cannot be. It's for a primary residence, so you can't move out, buy another one, and rent it. Okay. They, it's not acceptable. Now, do these programs? Because I know that FHA and VA and CalVet, all three programs, according to the homework you gave me to do, <laughs> uh, all, all will allow you to use those programs to buy what we call from one to four units. So in other words, I could end up buying not just a single family place, but a duplex or a triplex or a fourplex. Okay, those programs. Will these programs work with that that you're aware of? Most of them will only do the one unit. The one unit. There are exceptions to that rule, and it, it's by program, uh, by program. And every time, because every time they get a new grant, the rules change. Okay. And I don't do these. I don't do these every day. The same city every day. So I always check. And there's always something tied to yes. it, you know, because I know um, some of the things that you gave me, um, uh, you know, like for example, part of that money can be as an inducement to try to turn around some kind of a neighborhood or get a neighborhood going yes. in the right direction. So they may say, if you buy a house in this community, which we're trying to turn around and, you know, from going downhill to going uphill, then we'll have funds that are available for you. Yeah, they, like they have programs for teachers and policemen and firemen that... Okay. Now, I, I know, again, I know it's kind of hard to, to hit somebody up and you know, and, uh, and say, you know, well, because one of the things I learned in doing the research for this and from what you gave me there is just a gazillion programs, just a bazillion. And one of the things that I found out is, is that for those of us that know anything about going on the Internet and searching, if we happen to put a word in there, such as a city or a town that we want to buy, like Sacramento, and then we look for Sacramento uh, down payment assistance programs for teachers, for example. We may very well find something that might be available. But I did take the time to look because I'm a teacher. Naturally, I wanted to find out about teachers. And according to the um, – this is something called Cal HEFA, uh, which is the um, the Cal, the C-A-L, means California, and the HEFA is <laughs> – I hate that word – Housing <laughs> Financing Agency has a program for – at least I saw for teachers – and uh, when I was looking at it, it, uh, it, it also appeared to me that it depended upon where you were teaching as to whether the program, you know, what programs were available. You're saying that also our friends that are in the police department, fire department also may have things? There are, yes, there are programs out there for, for them also. And I guess that's to get them to live in the community or near where they're going to be fighting fires or where they're near they're going to be um, policing, if you will, something <laughs> along that line? Well, hopefully not, but... Yes. Okay. Um, 
Let, hold on, never mind. It just looks like something popped up here. Um, anyway, um, what else was I going to say? Uh, so, uh, yeah, they, so they do have programs like that. I, d- I, w- I did look them up in, in those different, uh, and, and I guess from reading that I've done in the past, a lot of the times that's to maybe get like a doctor or a nurse or somebody to a community that really they cannot necessarily um, afford, you know, where the doctor or the nurse can't afford to make the normal amount of living they would working in Hollywood or working in, you know, Beverly Hills or something along that line. You know, they can, they can make um, more money there. Um, a couple of the things I want to ask you. One of the things I want to ask you is, you know, we're going through a lot of different real estate things right now, and I know that you, you know, we all have our crystal balls. You know, we all look in the crystal ball we to wish. try to figure. We wish. And what we're talking about right now is that the interest rates have sort of plateaued now, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken. Can you talk a little bit about, I mean, do you have, can you give us a rough idea what the interest rates are now to buy a, a home, what that would run? <laughs> Well, the rates are have stayed right around in the sixes for the last year. In the sixes. In the six percent range, from six percent to seven percent range, mostly uh, for a con- conventional conforming home. Conforming. What is that? Which mean? means that it's under us. It's not a. It's not a. It's under a certain. Um, it's not a jumbo ma- loan. Yeah, it's not a jumbo loan. It's under a certain value. Some, okay, so somewhere in the 6% range, and I mean at least from what I've been reading, those things sound like they're going to try to maybe, I don't <laughs> know, like hopefully they're going to stay that way for a while. Well, they, they've been up and down, and usually in the industry, if someone asks, is the rate going to go up, I say yes. We just don't know when. Just don't know, yeah. <laughs> don't know when. So... Um, so do you think that the interest rate, do you think the market, you think it possibly would be up? I guess what you're saying is is that if somebody's looking to buy a house, what they really want to do is get themselves well qualified, all set up so that they're in a good negotiating position, get their financing lined up so they can really go in and be a serious buyer, you know, yes. and, and buy that place. Um, a couple of things I just want to ask you about, just for those students that <clears throat> are in the class now, not consumers, but students, what kinds of careers would there be in, if somebody was interested in a career in real estate finance? I know it's kind of funny to have this near the end of the thing, but <laughs> I'd kind of like to talk a little bit about that for the students that were interested. Because a lot of this financing stuff sounds very, very interesting. You know, what would people do if they were interested in a career in real estate finance? Follow up, find out by taking the courses what they like, what's, what course they like. In In the finance industry, there's... Not just mortgage brokers, but there's underwriters, there's processors, there's assistant um, loan officers, and and also in the real real estate industry, there's a lot of different things too. Not to mention appraisers and is appraisal a good field to be in? Sure, (laughs) (laughs) it's fun. It is fun, yeah. Um, so there's just a lot of different areas to be in. Um, you know, you're you're somebody that works with a client and just originates yes. the loans then. And then yes. you basically, so we understand this, you're the one that then goes it goes to the underwriter, and the underwriter takes care of, I guess, making sure that all the paperwork and everything is figured, filled out correctly. It goes to the processor, and, and they put the package together, and then the underwriter, who ne- you never talk to, no one ever talks to, <laughs> uh-huh. makes a decision whether you can have the loan or not. Okay, okay. So anyway, we've gone through a lot of things. <clears throat> we know that, just to recap what we've been talking about today, the thing is is that once, if you decide 
that you want to buy a house, the first place that you should start out with, regardless of what income level of it, just happens to be something you're not necessarily familiar with, is to go and start taking the classes at the Home Loan Counseling mm-hmm. Center. I guess that would be the first one. Um, and then once you've done that, then uh, I guess you said the second thing is to get the financing correct. Is that right? Yes. Get the financing worked out. And then simultaneously look for a real estate agent. Start interview them. Most most referrals, most people you know or relatives or can refer, refer you to a realtor. Or you may meet like. somebody in the, during th- in through the, the, the process of the Home Loan Counseling mm-hmm. Center. Okay. And then once we find, um, anyway, once we find a home, one of the things, if we've already got our financing lined up, then we can go in with a letter, and you call that letter. An approval letter or a credit approval letter. A credit approval letter, which shows that we're serious and we're ready, willing, and able to move. And then we give them that letter, and and then that helps us and puts us in a better bargaining position to, to get the loan. And then after that offer is accepted, then you're saying that it basically takes, what, about... How long to get this whole it's, Well, everything, once the process is accepted, once the offer is accepted, it's, it, they negotiate to how long. Um, 30 days is typical. If can you really get everything done in you 30 can, days? You can if you're pre-approved and, and you're pre-approved through a down payment assistance. But because you're talking about down payment assistance and agencies that are not don't have a lot of staff typically, we suggest, if you can, to get a 45-day contract versus a 30. 30, uh, 45, yeah, I can see that because a lot of times that might be some kind of a volunteer organization or something along that line to do that. So anyway, you get that, that you get that all approved and then you go through and then finally, hopefully, when, when it's all said and done, you'll, you'll get funded and you'll get your house and you'll, you'll have a place for your family to live then. Huh? And that's the goal. That's the entire goal to help out. And, and then these programs are available, as we mentioned before. We're getting pretty close to the end now. We're available for first-time buyers. Mm-hmm. And we said that first-time buyers, remember, it doesn't necessarily mean that you've never owned a home before. It means that basically, you know, you haven't owned one in three years. Also, um, single parents that might be out of a divorce recently. That was something that that was something that you mentioned during the class. Just really quickly, because we only have a few seconds left. Uh, a person that's just coming out of a divorce. What does that mean? If they're a single parent and they can qualify, they are so considered first-time home buyer, even though they just came out of owning oh, a house. Oh, so in other words, if they've owned a house with their husband or mm-hmm. their wife or whatever, and now they're divorced and then they're coming out and they need to buy a house they could be considered to be a first-time buyer then. That's pretty cool. That's I didn't know that. Okay, well, anyway, I want to thank you very much for coming. I thank really you. appreciate it. And everybody, I want to thank you very much for watching. And, again, uh, uh, we're going to continue to do these shows to allow you to meet the different people that are within the real estate and the business industry. Thank you very much for watching. We'll see you back here again. Bye-bye.